0: to Warhammer 40k book club. This is episode number 22 in which we're discussing Mark of Faith by Rachel Harrison. I'm Jen Bozier, And I'm Carrie Honey. And this is Warhammer 40k book club where we read from a crag. Every episode, we select a book from the Black Library's Warhammer 40,000 catalog. We post the book on our website, wh40kbookclub.com along with questions to ponder during reading. Listeners are able to read the book and then tune in and hear our discussion. We encourage participation via Twitter, the site or encrypted Vox channel. Spoiler warning, if you haven't yet read the book, go to the site, check out the book and the questions, and then come back to this episode, as we'll be discussing the plot from start to finish in great detail. As mentioned this episode, we're reaching Mark of Faith by Rachel Harrison. The story is about a sister of the Adeptus Sororitus and an Inquisitor who are set upon their journey to rescue the shield of St. Catherine from beyond the Rift. We We posed ourselves several questions, so let's dive in. And I'm actually going to break tradition and I'm going to start this time and saying whether or not we like it. Because I've given this a lot of (laughs) thoughts. It's a complicated (laughs) answer. You guys, so we have been driving. It's an hour drive to and from Boulder for a hockey tournament all weekend. And I have been thinking a lot about this. And I've ultimately decided that this book is very strange to me because I liked the book. Despite hating both of the main characters and being grossly disappointed that I figured out the plot twists in like the first 40 pages. I still liked the book. I don't know how that works. Did you like the book?
1: No. Um, you know, and I know it tweeted something very similar. You know, um, I liked the concept. I liked the, the characters were well written and they're very well developed. Uh, and the characters were good characters. Whether I liked them or not, they were they were good characters. And... Um, uh, like, the build-up was incredible. The world was incredible. But the predictable plot just... It killed it. It absolutely killed it for me. Yeah.
0: And we're going to talk a lot about that later. Because I feel as though... I'm not sure that you can talk about this book without that. In fact... Let's talk about those parts that stood out to us and then we might just jump ahead to the big reveal because I feel like it's so integral to everything we're going to be talking about tonight. So first off, let's start with the good. What parts really stood out to you?
1: Um, the, the really, the first part that stood out to me was, you know, I, I have a feeling we're going to have different page numbers because we read different editions. Um, right. But it was, um, when, um, Evangeline talking to, um, the head novator the navigator yes and um and she mentioned um you know that she wasn't going to survive this next jump and she was mm-hmm. like but she's you know uh the inquisitor ari she said she saw you there and she was just like oh honey like she was just saying things to that i so that i would do it and um ava was getting mad and she and what what i wrote down was you cannot hate her for it any more than you can hate a falcon for trying to fly. And I was like, okay, that kind of gave me chills because in so many ways, it was like so forgiving for a navigator just to be like, yeah, she, you know, I'm not going to live this. I know this. She lied. She's an inquisitor. Of course she did. You know, just, Well, I
0: loved that. That was actually the number one thing that I was going to go to as well, that scene, because it was so wonderful. But my favorite part of that was actually when she just, again, I i heard it in that same tone that you said it in that, oh, bless your heart,
1: mm-hmm.
0: tone of voice. But it kind it's of my, when,
1: like my grandmother, you know, kind of reaching right. out and just, yes. and just saying, it's like, you can't get mad at this. like Or, you know, just saying, it's okay.
0: Yes. The thing that I liked, though, is when she says, and I'm trying to see if I can find the part that she says. Um but she says that um, you can't hate her for it, that the God Emperor and created her to lie, just as he created you to fight, and he created me to sail the stars. Just like this idea that there was this forgivingness to it, but just this acceptance, like, look, she is who she is. It reminds me of that, um, the old parable with the turtle and the scorpion, it's in my nature. Like, right. it's just, it's in the inquisitor's nature. They, that's what they do and that was the exact thing that i was going to go to first because it's a it's a short i mean it's only like two paragraphs but it's a beautiful interaction oh
1: you know honestly everything with this navigator like when they first saved her was every scene with her was just amazing oh yeah like she's probably the first navigator i can say i've actually liked okay well okay to be fair we haven't seen like we've seen the super
0: political crazy like look at me dripping in jewels and then we saw the one from knights of McCrag.
1: well i mean it's just thinking of that but i'm thinking of you know like uh gosh like even eisenhorn like that astropath navigator was weird like just like and everyone talked about how they don't like being near them but she's seen one like maybe you feel weird, but you wouldn't mind being near her because she just seems so nice. Right.
0: Yeah, she seemed... That whole sequence, though, because the next thing I, that really stood out to me was that demon fight. When they get in there, the mirror demon. Mm. And I think I told you, it was so well described, and I don't know if any of our listeners played a game called The Wolf Among Us, but there was this fight where Big B um, has to fight Bloody Mary. And because she comes out of a mirror, the sound design for that level is so good. She has this weird echoey, like breathy voice and everywhere she walks, it makes this cracking glass noise. So as I read that section, I was getting chills because I could just hear that Bloody Mary noise. And when the demon spoke, so a lot of, and that whole scene is just wonderful. The fighting scene, Angeline's internal dialogue, and just watching the sisters in action against this awful thing—it's—I—I I jokingly call them nuns with guns, but it was—I mean, it's amazing. They're these tough women of faith, just throwing themselves at this demon. It was—I read it, it was just like,
1: <gasps> you know. The whole nuns and, you know, I'm going to remove, like, bolter bitches. And after reading this book, it's going to be nuns with guns. And the reason why is because everything that these women were doing, all I could see was these heavy links to Catholicism. and Oh, my God, yes. And it reminded me of, um, I don't know if you've ever read this book, but it's a historical historically-based fiction novel about Lady Guinevere. And... um and it talked about, you know, when Arthur found her and she had because she came from this religion of the goddess mm-hmm. and Arthur Hughes had aligned with the Catholic monks. And one thing she always said about them is that, you know, because she said with her religion, they revered the beauty and everything. And she's like the monk. She's like, you know, they shave their heads. They were all brown. Everything's just ugly and misery, misery, misery. And Mists of Avalon. That wasn't the name of this book, actually. Oh, because
0: they deal heavily with that in that book. Oh,
1: that's, that's interesting. No, this was actually just called Guinevere. Oh, okay. Um, that always stuck with me. And, mm-hmm. you know, and I have friends who are Catholics. But, you know, every time, like, do, if you look into, like, hardcore, high Catholicism, it is very mm-hmm. much this whole thing of misery, misery, misery. And I, so I couldn't get get away from that. So, yes, they are nuns with guns. Well, the thing that my husband said that I was like, you
0: know, you're probably right. Is he said, like, you could go to a Catholic nun and probably hand them this book and replace the God Emperor with Jesus Christ. and They would probably be like, absolutely, yes. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just, and that was the one thing. There's a beauty to the sisters that I just absolutely love with them, with them talk with Evangeline singing and then praying and all of this stuff. And you can imagine, like, if you... (laughs) If you were a chaos cultist, uh, that might be a little scary to see these women. And the thing that I love about them, too, is that they are not post-human. They are not adeptus astartes. Mm -hmm. They have power armor, which lends them strength. But these are just regular ass women. And just this beauty in their armor and their prayer scrolls and their singing and their devotion. That is the one thing. I don't know if you read The Afterword by Rachel Harrison at the end.
1: Actually, I didn't have one
0: oh huh well that's a real bummer <laughs> i'll have to find a way to get the afterword to you because it is beautiful and basically she says that she found this piece of art and if you for those of you listening and not watching it's just the standard piece of art of the woman with the white hair and the armor the yep. adeptus Sororitas. and she said that she found it and she just was struck by it
1: and what a powerful image it was which I agree. Yeah, see I don't um, even have that image. I just double checked and no, it's the ending, it goes to acknowledgments about the author and scene. So So that was Step a limited it up Black Library. So that was a limited edition. <laughs> special.
0: Set that anywhere. Um it's beautiful what she says about the faith in it. And it's just it's so strong because like I think I've gone back and forth, and we've talked about this in this podcast a lot. Where I go back and forth on the whole, do I think he's the emperor should be worshipped as a god? Do I think there's a new divinity to it? And I get to the end of this book and I'm like, yes, no, for sure, 100%. 100%.
1: <laughs> I have to admit, I kind of got that way too. I was like, okay, yeah, I think I'm kind of seeing the, the divinity in this. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, it's hard not to, right? Um, I'm trying to think, there was another thing my brain is fried after this whole week oh so the other thing that stuck out to me and on one hand i'm so sick of seeing I, I i want to be sick and tired of seeing thousand sons who are just trying to reverse the rubric but it it gets me in the feelers every time and when they kill amenthus friend and he's laying by his corpse and all he says is he's like i just wanted to hear his voice again This concept of and it was just it was so heartbreaking because his struggle was mirrored with ari's which is not at all short for arm struggle and um like they were this mirror (laughs) for each other nudge nudge see what they did Mm. um but just what i got to that and was like dude i'm so sorry you're on the wrong side but i'm so sorry that was, that was,
1: and it was, again, it's like a paragraph. Right. And- I, I thought that whole thing was a very beautiful, because I even wrote, like, I snickered when they got to this part, and she's, and Ari's like, I'm nothing like you, and he's like, really? Really? <laughs> the Thousand Sons are always sassy. I mean, yeah, that's probably well, why I like sassy them. Sassy sorcerers. That's probably why I like them so much. I mean, he's like, you know, here I am, willing to sacrifice everybody here to reverse this, and Didn't you lead them here? Because you knew you were going to sacrifice all of them, too? Yeah. Pretty much. So, I mean, that just kind of brought all sorts of smiles to my face. I was like, yeah, take that, you Inquisitor bitch. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I could pretty much picture them doing a Z-snap, too, because they're Thousand Sons and they're sassy. Um, It's like even, like, in the end, you know, after he's defeated, she's Mm -hmm. still keeps going forward with like what he would do oh yeah
0: oh yeah she's still like yep no this is totally good um so organizing thoughts here let's jump ahead really quick and talk about the big reveal trademark like i think i told you i was 40 or 50 pages in and i was like oh it's gonna be a thousand it's the thousand sun sorcerer it's gonna be some more bullshit that's going on here and they need uh, they need Sofika to do something.
1: I wasn't sure if it was the exact Thousand Sons guy that they saw because I couldn't remember if they had if they had actually killed him or defeated him or whatever. But I knew this was an agent of Zinch. I mean, when <laughs> when you're seeing dead people talking to you and nobody else sees it, that's a Zinch. <laughs> like I should be singing you know <laughs> singing uh a more there but but it's true uh it was like so many things like that uh, the first um Mep- Mephiston book that I read right. where they had you know the uh the prince the unborn prince I'm like my like, mm-hmm. god this is some zinch shit going on yep yeah just <laughs>
0: <laughs> because it is always zinch. um if I If I had, if I were to give, I'm sure, I'm sure she's sitting with bated breath waiting for unsolicited advice from a tech product manager. Um, The one thing I would say is that I would just, I would advise her to trust her audience a little bit more. If you compare this, so in Spear of the Emperor, remember when they first arrive on the planet, um, when Amadeus and and, uh, Honorata first get there, they're like the um, spears, the Emperor's spears are like, oh, yeah, we sassed the Inquisition and now they're trying to kill us. And it never gets mentioned again. Right. So then at the end, when it's the Inquisition, you're like, oh, they told us this was what was going on, too. I think had she mentioned the Thousand Sun Sorcerer and then never said it again.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But the fact that, like, in those first 40 pages, he gets mentioned like three times. So I was like, no, I get it. It's it's the thousand sons guy. I get it. It's that sorcerer. I pretty much figured it was. And then when she talks to her dad, and he's like, oh, if you go and kill the um allow the sister to sacrifice herself, your girlfriend will be made whole again. The God Emperor doesn't care about that. Come on. No. Go <laughs> on, that And I felt as though I understood. I understood and we'll talk more about this i understood her desperation but i was kind of disappointed that an ordo hereticus inquisitor wasn't more questioning of daddy telling her well
1: you know the thing with the Ordo hereticus is that you know they see everybody else's flaws they don't see their their own and you know, how many cases have we seen where the Order Hereticus are willing to sacrifice thousands of people to get this one thing that they want? Right. And no, that, absolutely. As like one, well, you know, my favorite short stories. I keep saying talking about Eisenhorn, but my favorite short stories was the Keeler image. And, you know, when he goes to find this image because he's hoping to catch this one person, not realizing that the Order Hereticus set this entire thing up just to find him and we're willing to let this criminal this guy that i has been looking for go because they want one man and they killed thousands of innocent people in there yeah but what does it matter because we wanted this one person
0: yeah we needed to get this one dude Mm -hmm. oh no they definitely subscribe to the omelets and eggs philosophy except that they like to do a lot of test eggs hey man you gotta like break a whole bunch to perfect an omelet Mm -hmm. okay to get that perfect fluff right um it's like the japanese style omelets um yeah no pretty much i mean they they are a callous bunch and i know that you and i have talked about that a bit but um the big question i would ask
1: about the reveal did it gel with the story here okay i have a really big question okay so Obviously, this whole thing with the conduit is what Amenthus wanted to set up so that he could, you know, get his uh, Rubiket brothers back. What did she think the conduit was and what did she want with it?
0: My understanding is that she thought it was going to be something that would close the rift, that would fix the rift, make the god emperor come back. I don't know what that means. Like, they were pretty vague about that, honestly. Because remember when she goes to Terra, when she's talking on Terra, um, she says something about how, like, this is going to wake up the Emperor or something like that. So I don't know if that she thought it was just going to close the rift entirely because she is a little vague. And they mention a couple things there. Which is kind of not what a conduit does. I just work here. (laughs) i I merely read um i you know what i was and that was the thing that i was a little confused about too and it was a little frustrating to me because i went back and reread like certain of her chapters because i was like oh man i must have just like not processed it right um so some of these chapters in this book i read twice um they she says at one point it says like she thinks the god emperor is going to come back and then she thinks the rift is going to close i don't know it
1: the weird it thing is, felt... I, got, I, that, I got that all kind of muddled together, though, because, because, yeah, uh, because then she keeps talking about the conduit is definitely here and she doesn't talk about the God Emperor anymore. She's thinking about Sophie. So it all got kind of muddled because then at one point, like probably like about three fourths away of the book, I was like, what? Wait, wait, what did she think it was before this happened to Sophie? Because it, it, felt... it, it just never got never was that clear Right. And to me, it felt
0: like an attempt at the MacGuffin. Um, She was was definitely looking for a MacGuffin. And I don't know if that was intentional on Rachel Harrison's part, and that it's like this thing that she has gotten so... Corrupted's not the right word, but twisted and just fixated on fixing Sofika, that she it doesn't matter and that somehow like she starts off being like oh this is going to close the rift or help the emperor this is going to help mankind and then slowly but surely because she gets so fixated and kind of corrupted i guess that it becomes sofika
1: yeah now she's
0: right well pretty much awkward like at the end of the at the end of the book that was actually one of my first thoughts As i was like you would be killing you over this like if this were anybody else
1: but you know do as i say so okay i got another question okay is this really the Ordo hereticus's job to try to close the rift
0: you know one of the things that you and i have been talking a lot about is this concept of absolute power corrupting absolutely with the inquisition i think the inquisition is so power drunk at this point that they're fixing all kinds of problems all kinds of problems because they found a solution and you
1: know problems i got air quotes going for the podcast big
0: like mm. the air quotes are massive around fixing um and you know one of the things we talked about is how they actually can end up doing a whole lot of damage because they wield such power with unquestioning she shows up and it's just like Inquisition and everyone's like, ooh, okay, you do what you gotta do, man. It's, uh, I, don't, I don't know. And I think, you know, Eisenhorn was guilty of that too. He starts Ordo-Xenos. By the end of the book, he's Ordo-Eisenhornus. <laughs> because he's just trying to fix all the problems. You know, I guess in some ways the Inquisition's kind of the hammer to which everything looks like a nail. Like, they're gonna fix everything. And somehow she, through her dreams, must have gotten fixated on this. And no, I don't think that is what Ordo Hereticus is supposed to be doing. But to be fair, I guess it would fall under Ordo Malleus, probably.
1: Yeah, that's like um, some gray knight shit, to be honest. But anyway, but you know, again, Ordo Hereticus, I know best. I'm just gonna go. Do I'm this an inquisitor, thing, right? I do. I'm what an inquisitor. I want.
0: Yeah, I'm an Inquisitor and I see dreams, so.
1: Yeah, I found it funny that um after the incident, she didn't have those dreams anymore. I was like, oh, yeah, Zinch, Zinch has been fucking with you for a long time.
0: Oh, pumpkin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, keep in mind, I mean, Zinch plays the long game, mm-hmm.
1: like the long, long game. Uh, the Inquisition just thinks they play the long game.
0: Yeah, which, <laughs> to be fair, so after reading Mark of um, Rites of Passage... A passage. You remember in Rites of Passage, my fav- one of my favorite things was when that Inquisitor is basically like, you guys think you know political games and fucking people over? You have no idea. It, and then it was really funny to me because it's like, that was like the big fish eating the little goldfish. And then in this book, it was the shark coming along. <laughs> like, oh, you think you know games? My sweet summer child. I mean, the
1: thousand sons have nothing but time. Nothing but time, and actually, you could probably say that about all of the traitor legions. They have nothing but time.
0: Exactly. it Oh my god. So, but jumping over really quick, abrupt change to Sister Evangeline is a character in crisis. Did
1: you like her? Did you understand her? Do you I, sympathize with her? I understood her at first mm-hmm. because. As someone who does not like being in the spotlight, I could totally understand the awkwardness of, you didn't die, you now have the mark of the Aquila on your face, and everyone's pointing and staring at you. I can just imagine, like, how awkward that feels, and everyone's now looking to (laughs) you to have all the answers when you're not sure that you even have answers yourself. Right. No matter what your mentor told you, you're still not feeling that you're supposed to be leading. So I I understood that. I totally got that 100%. Um, but then the whining got old. Yes. I
0: would agree with that. And I similarly. Those first couple chapters. I can't imagine what that had to be like. Like I can't even. I didn't have a frame of reference for it. Your mother figure. The woman who basically raised you dead all of your best friends the women who you consider to be your sisters dead except for Ashava, she's the only one who survived and i can't imagine what that's like and then all of a sudden you go from being this young green sister who is no in no way deserving you have this mark on you people are making the aquila when they see you it's i can't imagine what that was like and then she just keeps going and going and going and by the end of the book i was actually very happy at the end of the book when she declares herself for her pencha because about the midway point i'm like honey the emperor clearly chose you your sis your mother your sister superior
1: chose you and you're questioning them questioning it so like that, that a, is some straight se- up heresy some severe imposter syndrome
0: Severe imposter syndrome, and okay, so here's one of the things I'm gonna say, and this is a mild soapbox, but I really struggle with female characters, strong female characters, because they have this problem, and I think you see it very starkly in this book. On one hand, you have Evangeline, who's the oh, I'm not worthy, I feel so hollow, I feel so empty, I'm an imposter, and then you have Rivara, who is the I know everything. I'm fucking right, fall in line. And there has to be an emotion somewhere in between that. And this is a problem that extends beyond books. There's, they've, been, they've done studies for years, like in business. If a man is confident and somewhat pushy in work, oh, well, then he's a good leader. If a woman is confident and someone pushy, she's a bitch. That's a social phenomenon. Mm-hmm. But I really dislike that books. It's like you either have this obnoxiously arrogant character or you have somebody who's just self-flagellating there's nothing in between and well, we have so many big series like twilight yeah i just brought up twilight and the hunger games katniss if you read the books katniss everdeen is like that the whole series oh people are just being nice to me because they want something like they don't understand that i'm not this good and i'm really not this great of a fighter and there was this awful series called rhapsody the rhapsody series bless your hearts if you know what i'm talking about same thing that character spends the whole time oh i don't know why everyone keeps looking at me
1: i don't deserve this honor and then we had the third stereotype with the strong woman in this and that is the angry one
0: yes you have the snarling angry everything is wrong huge Big chips on shoulders. There's just no shoulders. They've been chipped off. Um, Keo, I had a very strong reaction to her. I I liked and disliked her at the same time. I did like that she was this angry, snarling, and then when Evangeline finally says, I feel hollow, I feel like I don't deserve this, then all of a sudden you see this, oh... Oh shit, we are alike. Like, I like that moment, but the fact
1: that she was never called to task for some of her BS. Oh, and she, I mean, how many times does she disobey orders, break ranks? If she were a space marine, she'd be dead. Oh, yeah. Or
0: sent off to Medrangard with her best friend. <sighs> because, well, I mean, I make the joke, but, um, pretty serious those guys didn't even get anyone killed they helped but spacebooks say that bad
1: they well i'm kind of also thinking of the primaris from knights of mccrag you know the asshole who, yes who did break orders and finally his leader in the primaris was like okay <laughs> you, we're gonna have a chat we need to have a come to Jesus. Which is, you know, in the uh, rings and their little arenas down there. So, you know, he pretty much literally got his ass handed to him. Yeah. But I mean, that would have been the bare minimum, I would have yeah. thought.
0: I was a little surprised by that. And just her constant, I'm so hollow. But then on the other hand, like when she talks with the navigator, right? And she prays with her. There's just, she would demonstrate these feats like and I would call them feats of just inner strength and this beauty and this divinity and that the whole end scene when she keeps hearing Adeline in her head going stand and she keeps getting up and that light coming off of her Mm -hmm. like I was reading the book just like oh my gosh (laughs) the whole time so I I liked her and I didn't like her at the same time
1: you know I have to say that scene reminded me of Bambi you know what scene I'm talking about? I know what scene you're talking Mm -hmm. about why you gotta be hey I liked that scene
0: I actually when I was reading it what I pictured her looking like in that scene is I don't know if you saw the movie Stardust Mm-mm. it's a wonderful movie um uh what's her face claire danes plays a star a fallen star and uh, a literal star that's fallen to earth and at one point whenever she gets happy she starts to shine and this light comes off of her and one of the key points at the end is when she shines and um that's all i pictured <laughs> Was Evangeline just this beautiful aura and this light coming off of her and so pretty
1: (laughs) in my head. Or, you know, if you want to go the twilight route. I'm like a little sparkly vampire. Get out
0: (laughs) Good God
1: Well Bella Look at this beautiful thing And you're like, Let me set it on fire Well, she's like Bella and Bella became a vampire at the end, so you know
0: anyways
1: bella sparkled yes i've read them of course you have to
0: know your enemy exactly I read all of them too they were awful um the interesting thing about evangeline though and or we'll talk about that here we'll talk about that here in a bit let's switch gears real quick and go to rivara also a character in crisis don't get in <laughs> that's a great conversation starter
1: Um, i mean you know honestly when we get to what her crisis is i was just like oh i don't care i do not care about your problems right now because you are incredibly selfish for an inquisitor yeah oh she's selfish
0: by inquisitor standards even
1: i'm like (laughs) like even i that's what i mean like for an inquisitor, you are selfish. I mean, just yeah. I mean, your inquisitor. Even you're selfish. Eisenhorn,
0: even Eisenhorn would be like, "Bitch, slow down, right? Slow your roll." Like, <laughs> and I think I've established my feelings on Eisenhorn. Uh, holy cow! Uh, like, oh my god! So, but in many ways, she's a to Evangeline. You have Evangeline who is self-sacrificing and selfless. To Overly so, right? Yes. And then you have Rivara, who just me 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 me. me. We've established that neither of us liked her. Did you understand her?
1: No. No, I no, because again, when, uh, uh. when it kind of pieced together, what it, what was going on? Like, no, I I don't get it. And maybe that means like I don't love my husband. You know.
0: Well, there's loving your spouse and then there's willing to be willing to sacrifice I mean at that point a planet to bring back your spouse who you got killed.
1: But you know, but I'm also thinking, you know, uh the Medicaid, who kept telling her like I told you to let her go. She yeah. can't live like this. She's in constant pain. Yes. At that point like that is one hundred percent for you. It is Yes not for Sophie. It is honestly not. the best thing would have been to let Sophie go because and then yeah. there's no conduit. That
0: too. But I you're not wrong in that so on one hand so at one point when they talk about her, right? And like how when you start finally get into Rivara's mind and she talks about how this is the one person, the one person whoever Cared about her and knew everything about her and still loved her and the one person she trusted and all of this right.
1: I just forget that dad,
0: right? But as she's explaining that, I was like, "I understand, but you're fucking wrong and you're awful." And it was, it was love, but in a very selfish way. And I have no doubt if you asked Rivara, she would tell you that. Oh no, no, no! I just totally love her, but I couldn't get away from the fact that. Because every time she would talk about, like, oh, she knows me and she loves me, blah, blah, blah. And also she interprets my dreams and I kind of need that. Like, she loved her as a very, it reminded me a lot of, like, how I picture the Emperor loving the Primarchs. Whereas that, you're my favorite tool. So I actually made a note. All of my toys, you're my favorite.
1: I made a note in here that I said, I can't determine if Rivara loves Sofika or just needs her.
0: I think it's a little bit of both and I think that it was a it was a very unhealthy codependent relationship uh, I could not get past the fact that you were torturing this woman by keeping her alive because you couldn't because let her go because you can't let her go it reminds me it reminds me a lot of and I I want to make it very clear that I understand there's a big difference between a person and a pet but like you know the people who they're animals are in pain and like when you see people who have dogs or cats who can't walk anymore and, Oh, but I just need to keep my cat with me because I love her so much. And it's like, you need to let that animal go. Now, the thing has no quality of life. It's in pain. And this is worse because it's a person. I really strong opinions on that. And the fact that, yeah, this woman has no quality of life and you're just keeping her alive to make yourself feel better because you feel guilty because you need her and because you don't want to give up this one person who ever understood you i got an idea maybe if you start stop mind wiping all of your servants somebody else might fall in love with you too i'm just throwing that out there
1: but that's for their sake Because if they remembered what they saw, they'd go nuts. Oh, it's bullshit. It's all because, it's all her. Yeah. It's It's all. It's something she can do to control them. That's all that it is.
0: And I think she can fall back on that. She can rest on her laurels saying, oh, well, I'm doing it to save them. And okay, maybe. But even in the end, you learn um, from Daniel. You learn that he's like, oh, yeah, the guy with the serpent mask. I've been dreaming about that and she's like oh
1: but you know I also look back at you know earlier Inquisitors so let's go back to Eisenhorn and Ravener who had regular people in their retinue that they didn't mind wipe every time they saw a demon or a traitor Marine mm-hmm.
0: that we know of instead, but still.
1: instead what did they do? they kept him closer yes like well and again and it's I like, always got oh, the impression <laughs> you, you saw a traitor Marine? alright um, well you can't leave <laughs>
0: you're stuck here now
1: well and you know the reason that i always figured
0: that is that and i think oh what book was it i don't think it's Crowell who says it it might have been crowl it was either that or it was a different inquisitor in a dan abnett story it might have been the guy from the brothers of the snake book anyways an inquisitor had once said he was talking about his retinue and he basically was like yeah um this is not a long life expectancy like, serving an Inquisitor is not... It doesn't have a great retirement plan. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't. It's... I always got the impression that Eisenhorn and Ravener didn't really need to do that because they're like, you know, you might live 200 years, you might leave two. Who knows? You know, like, something's gonna kill you eventually. Or you'll go crazy and I gotta put you down like old yeller.
1: Right, but at the same time, both of them... They... Kind of, they- I know you're gonna, you're gonna go against me on this, but they saw the retinue. Though, yes, they were tools, but they were still people. And I, I, I know, I know, poor fishing. Yes, I know you're gonna go there. Justice for fishing. Okay, well, let's just focus on Rabbiter. That yes, like, that these were people. Yes, and Ravener
0: especially. And I actually get that impression with Crowell too, because when they yes. talked about outside of Spinoza, his retinue, his people, you got the impression that these were trusted humans. And maybe he's not like BFFs going out drinking with him every night, but he is at least, I got the impression he was at least cognizant that these are people. Mm-hmm. Valuable people to me. I did not get that impression with Rivara. But I think that was, again, that goes towards that Ugh, I'm going to use the phrase that I hate, but unfortunately it really did describe her, that Ice Queen trope. Right? I have the person I love and everybody else is expendable garbage to me.
1: Well, I even loved it, you know, because Mia uh, got pissed when she found out Sophie was still alive and she just kind of disappeared in the ship. like No one yes. saw her except for uh, Zora. Except for Daniel, Right? And when she finally showed up... um know, immediately, Ari's, Ari's like, you know there's going to be a punishment for that, right? I was like, bitch, you just you your role.
0: Oh, my God. And in the beginning, when the doctor's like, you have to let Sophika go. And she's like, Lord, you will address mm-hmm. me by my title.
1: Oh, man. And, and, I, and she... You know, tells him, he's like, you can't, when he tells her, you can't move her. She's not going to survive the trip. And she said, she didn't survive the trip. You're going to be, you know, then I'm killing you. Like, okay. So on that note, both Rivara and Evangeline have
0: surrounded themselves with strong people. Mm -hmm. In fact, I think we both said that I didn't, we didn't like the main characters that much, but we loved the supporting cast. I... I fell in love with so many characters in this book. Alec,
1: I liked Ashava a lot. Who was your favorite? Uh, Mia.
0: Hands what down. Mia was your favorite? hmm. I am torn between Daniel and um, Ashava. Or even Olivia, the canoness. Mm, yeah.
1: Can- who? Yeah.
0: That woman. Man i like the cut of her gym. like as soon as they were like yeah she doesn't do the whole ceremony thing
1: yeah like, i thought that was pretty cool i was like
0: i like you i thought she was really cool Ashava was just i think Reboot sh- would like her <laughs> just for the oh yeah not wanting to do ceremony yeah absolutely she'd be like can we just not and he'd be like yes let's not
1: <laughs>
0: they um uh, yeah i thought though i thought she was a great character i loved Ashava too Mm-hmm. I, but I loved uh Yumiya too. I thought she was so fun. I mean straight up fun with
1: those kill chords. Oh my god. Just oh man. Cause I was the whole time um every battle scene with her with those kill chords, I was like, This is a video game that needs to happen, like right oh now. Oh my
0: god, yes. Actually, you know what's really funny is I was describing her and I was like, she's so cool. I was talking to my husband and I was like, and she does this and she does that, and I was like, she's like, she's like, and he looks at me and he goes she's female kratos and i was like yes she is so <laughs> if you played the god of war series the way you throw those chains around i was like she is she is fem kratos 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 she she's not as f- angry yeah <laughs> yo well yeah for sure although at the end there she's not exactly happy
1: no but, but she stayed alive I... and she still has zoric and so it's all good
0: and I loved those two. I love that they kept, even after all these mind wipes, yeah. they kept drifting toward each other. And there was a there's a conversation in there, which I was actually surprised for Rivara when she's talking with Yumiya and Yumiya's looking at her hands. And she says that she made a hand gesture that was so similar to Zorik that Rivara didn't realize just quite how much affection these two have for each other. And I was like, oh, that's such a nice character beat for all three of those characters, mm-hmm. and Ashava is just so wonderful. I mean, what a wonderful right hand! Like that—that's that's the
1: best friend that you need. Anybody would need this person. He's going to be that strong and that supportive. Oh yeah, and with her walking,
0: mm-hmm. I and mean, they're just like, yeah, they could have taken my legs, but no. I was like, okay, <laughs> like. This woman's on a mission from the God Emperor. Literally. (laughs) I. It was so. They were all so good. And I just loved them. Except for Kyo, I was not a fan of her. Um, Would the book have been as enjoyable without them?
1: No. Mm
0: -hmm. I'm going to have to go with. I'm going to have to agree with you on that.
1: Because at least. You know. So there were like some sparks of joy and entertaining. Like again. I'm not saying that evangeline and rivara were written badly and they're not good characters they are good characters i just don't like them
0: right right and i could see how some people i could see how some people like my husband loved them both he loved the whole book um he really really liked evangeline um so i could see how i think it also depends on what you bring into the book with you like what other things that you've read and your styling but those, those characters, having them surrounded with such strong characters was such a smart move on her part mm-hmm. because it really did make it feel like, on one hand, this was a book about Brabara and Evangeline, but it made it feel like more of an ensemble piece, especially in that final battle. I don't know if you noticed, but it was tit for tat, man. Ravara would do something and then yorick and erzoric uh, and yumia would jump in and do something and then they would flash over to evangeline and ashava and keo and a, mm-hmm. and uh, eugenia are doing things and so everybody got this little sunshine moment of look at this person kick ass right which was so cool just loved it and so i think that was
1: Re- until ari had to go ruin it all And and Ava even asked her, "She's like, she's like, just let me go save her. It's like for you, or for her." And what does Ari immediately think? What would make her happy? Right.
0: Oh, for her. For her, obviously. Right.
1: This is not for me. So,
0: let me ask you this: Did you like Sofika as a character? I feel like I didn't get to know her. You don't really, and I. That was one thing. That I didn't like as much Because all of these people I could feel that she must have been a cool character Because Zorik and Yumiya Were so very attached to her mm-hmm. Ravara loves her Deeply in her own Inquisitor way So she must have been cool I could tell you the color of her eyes um, Sorry, that was Mountain sky, I was a little sick of reading um, But I I don't think I really knew her as a character. She just sounded as this like this very patient mirror for Rivara. Was, I think why Rivara liked her so much. Yeah could be.
1: She was just not oh God. at least at the at least at the end she said she had to go. Yes and would not let Rivara like talk her into staying. She's like, no because right. if I stay, then this is all gonna open up. And, you know, maybe a bigger rift. Which reminded
0: me of the ending of Final Fantasy X. (laughs) When they kill Sin. And Titus is like, I have to go now.
1: You know, I still never did finish that game. (laughs) (laughs) Spoiler alert in a 20-year-old game. Spoiler alert from a, what,
0: 20-year-old game? (sighs) Yes. At least. I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think. It depends on where we were living when we played that. And I want to say we were still living in Lodo.
1: I think Um, I was in grad school, so just because I remember I was a teaching assistant, and one of my fellow teaching assistants, she had just gotten a PlayStation 2, so this was like, this was 2001, so that was about 19 years. Okay, yeah, somebody
0: was only 18 or 19 Mm -hmm. years old, yeah, and um, yeah, it just reminded me of that, when they have to kill Sin, and she's, like, begging Titus to stay, and he's like, well, I can't, because with Sin, if you want Sin to be gone permanently, I gotta go too. And, yeah. Anyways. <laughs> Throwback to not a very good Final Fantasy game.
1: Well, I guess um, I'm not finishing it ever now.
0: You're welcome.
1: It's like Final Fantasy 7. I already know the ending of that too. I'm not gonna finish that either.
0: <laughs> I didn't ruin that one for you. Just so we're clear.
1: No, so when did that one come out? 1990 uh six
0: or seven because i it must have been seven because i was a junior senior in high school
1: okay i I just remember seeing commercials for it in college and we were all like graphics will never be better than this (laughs) that was still
0: code veronica for me When that beginning cutscene when she drops the gun and she falls and catches it and we would like invite people to our house and load it (laughs) up and everyone would be like oh my god they're never gonna get better than this and you go back and you watch him now and you're like oh oh oh, cringe yeah it's so bad i cried in that game anyways um video games aside uh i guess i didn't really feel like i so i Sofika, my only complaint about not really knowing Sofika is that I couldn't really, I was angry at Rivara for torturing this poor woman, but I didn't really feel like I, I knew her as a character and I'm not not sure that we were
1: supposed to. No. Really. I think it would have taken away too much else. Right. Like it just would have been That's extra probably. padding. Which there already was a padding problem. There was
0: quite a bit of padding, yes. I would the cat bothering you right now um there was yeah i would agree with that um so interestingly enough in here coming to the meat of our conversation because this is particularly interesting to me we've been in the last what six months we have read three books that could be described solely based around faith in Warhammer 40k saint celestine this an apocalypse mm. so it's interesting to me because how do that how do that? let's look at just the. let's look at our good care let's look at our truly faithful character i was gonna say i
1: thought they're like we don't do good here
0: <laughs> <laughs> we don't and i forgot that we're gonna talk about a matinum and he was a good character he was not a good person <laughs> no <laughs> so I think Rivara and him could have had tea. Anyways, uh, like how do Evangeline's, Amatnam's and Celestine's faith journeys compare? Did Amatnam have a faith journey? I guess I would say yes because remember his whole thing is that he's trying to get glory for the gods and remember at the end when he's like, oh yeah, you might not be alive to see the gods' favor but you
1: got it. Right. and his
0: faith i mean his and celestine's faith were almost mirrors for each other and just mm. this unquestioning devotion and belief in the strength that they get from it whereas evangeline a sister she questions it constantly not her not necessarily her faith in the emperor but she kind of does question it as she was the chosen one, and she constantly questions that, which I felt was interesting, because Celestine does not question it, really. Her journey is different. A matinum never questions it; he knows that he's faithful. In
1: Celestine's journey. The interesting thing about that is that she does it every single time she dies. Yeah, she doesn't remember who she is, what she's doing, but she knows she has to go somewhere or she's gonna die. Mhm. It's really God. That's really hard because that's so hard to compare. Because especially because when she finds pieces of her armor, she gets these flashbacks of, like, Mm -hmm. her past deaths and what she does. In so many ways, I feel like Evangeline doesn't have that kind of a sign. Right. She does have a mark on her face. But I wonder, like, how much of her is, like, is it really a blessing from the Emperor or is that just happens to be where the scars are from when I was burned? I wondered about that too but then in the
0: end there when they talk about that light coming right. off of her and her no, no, no. This, I was like oh yeah
1: no I mean right although I have to say when the shield disappeared and then suddenly she's like oh wait it was never a shield it's we're the shields I'm like are, are we how much are how badly are we reaching now to try to explain what's going on uh, like I was in I started to wonder a little bit if... I mean, Well, it's true. Zinch did manipulate her to be there because they needed the sacrifice of the sisters to make this work. But I started wondering, like, well, how much of this was played? Like, did he do the mark because he knew everybody would flock to her and, and they'd go to this area, which I could totally see him doing. It's, he wouldn't care.
0: I... I went down that same path as well, because you can't trust anything when Zinch is involved. It's kind of like the Alpha Legion. As soon as they get mentioned, you're like, okay, nothing is what it seems anymore. Um, But I decided that ultimately, I think she just fit into his plan. Because she was already on this path. I think Zinch then grabbed Rivara and plugged her into it was basically like that right there. That's exactly what we need. She's coming to us. Let's make it happen. Right? Because remember he pretty much knows all of the threads of fate that are moving. So it made sense to me that he was basically moving. He was working to accommodate her and what better sacrifice than a hyper-powerful Psyker and one of the Emperor's chosen. If it works for Karn, it can work for him. Funny because Karn kills Celestine. Um, yeah, I I think hers was legit. I really do think that she had now. Was it because whatever they were doing was just so bad? The Emperor was like, get her to stop this dude. I don't care what else. Go and stop this dude. <laughs> like, this is some bad shit. Um, that I don't know. I don't know how much fate was playing, how much of it was the emperor, how
1: much of it was Zinch. Um I guess I'm kind of curious. Oh, yeah. Of course, the Emperor would send someone to stop Zinch because I don't think that the conduit would have saved the Rubriquet. I think it would have made something much worse. Because, yes. I mean, because Zinch was obviously playing with Amentus, promising him like, oh, yes, this will, this will bring them back. When it could have just been, honestly, a giant... Literal conduit portal for Zinch just to come on through and be like, "This is good. I am here."
0: Well, so here's the funny thing about that is that Amentus and rivara were such they were the they were the same side opposite sides of the same coin. They had the same misplaced faith because if you remember, the whole reason that we have the Rubric Marines is because uh, Zinch. I want to make it very clear that I'm hyper hyper paraphrasing this Siege basically goes to Araman and is like hey i can stop the mutation buddy and Araman's like oh yeah totally let's do it but he didn't read the fine print and i feel as though Amentus is making the same mistake like because remember, he even says to ravara he's like oh if only you worship the right god
1: you know it kind of reminds me of a nice line from dr strange where he says the warnings come after the spells <laughs> right <laughs> yes pretty much mm-hmm.
0: yes and you just I, I would think that and i understand that you worship this thing. i actually got the impression for a second there i was like oh what if he's trying because when he said that he wanted to fix past mistakes oh what if he's going to restore his brother and then go back to being a loyalist thousand son because he's realized the mistake but then when he was like oh if only you worship the true god i was like oh dude dude this guy's fucked you guys over so badly like what, why are you still listening to this guy <laughs> Like, did Zeech tell you that this was gonna work because right then and there maybe yeah. take a step back but he had the same desperation as Rivara and yet again we get to see this man for like 40 pages I felt more invested in his story or his his journey to help his friend than I did in Rivara's.
1: oh 100% because he wasn't torturing his friend to keep them alive no and every single time they killed one of the Rubriquet and the dust came pouring out and was like man me too actually is-
0: I was like oh that's that's an antique <laughs> well seriously like you know when something old gets broken and you're like oh man that's irreplaceable <laughs> like <laughs> it was so bad because like these sisters are getting killed and i'm like that's fine but man you couldn't replace that thousand times.
1: <laughs> <laughs> i because there's nothing in his armor but dust all is dust mm-hmm. but yeah i
0: had that. i don't know for some reason it's just so sad to me when they die i don't know why i don't even like the thousand suns that much and it I, breaks my heart
1: to me the thousand suns are just such the the i can't say tragic hero because they're not heroes but this is the i don't know like Tragic villains I guess Is everything right. just you know Because they didn't ask they, <laughs> they didn't ask for this It was not part of the plan Um Things got made this way For them I mean Like we've talked no. we've talked sooner like If this hadn't happened If Horace hadn't gotten To Lehman Russ and if Lehman Had just arrested Magnus and brought him Back we would most likely have A tenth loyalist chapter 100 percent it's just the way that things turned in the end right and, you know when you read um prospero burns you know you find out that they knew it's like well we had to get rid of the space wolves and we had to get rid of the Psychers. like well we got rid of one it's okay that the others still around because we have other plants type thing so i guess that's why anytime they show up i feel more for them because they're just so they're such tra- tragic characters gosh i can't think of words they're such tragic characters they they are
0: especially because they are they're the living definition of the phrase the road to hell is paved with good intentions right magnus just wanted to tell his dad he just right? to Help. yeah he just wanted to help um it, yeah Araman was just he just wanted to help But yes, so every time they show up, I'm just like, oh god! In fact, with Amenthes talking, just like mentioning, like worshiping the true God, dude, buddy, it's like the person who's in an abusive relationship. You just want to be like, there's a place you guys can go, all right? I don't know if it's, (laughs) I don't know if it's just not worshiping chaos anymore. Like, you can't go back to the Imperium because that ship has sailed. But just like. I don't know. Pick a different god. I don't know. Yeah, the
1: Imperium's not very forgiving when you make mistakes.
0: Yeah, I don't. Yeah, and I don't picture. I don't picture Robbie being
1: particularly. Although you know, I don't know because I think if yeah. Mortarian sung a different tune, he would have tried to help him because that is his brother. Potentially, you know what? Just on to me. Add this to the list of
0: books. that does not end with a voicemail to Robbie G.
1: <laughs> no, it does not end with a voicemail. It does not Robbie. end
0: with another voicemail. Because um, crisis is mostly... averted.
1: Crisis averted. Mm-hmm.
0: So let me ask you this. Hmm. Where do Rivara and Evangeline go from here? Now, I know that literally she's going to join the Repentia. Uh Ashava is now the new Sister Superior. And uh, Rivara is going to her home planet. Along with Yorick and Zumia, which...
1: Made just me so happy, Zora and Yumia. You said Yorik and Zumia.
0: God dang it! That is like the fifth or sixth time I cannot keep their names. So they're just gonna make them a celebrity couple and call them Zumia. They're just so, Y and Z. Y and Z. There we go. Gosh, it's Mia and Danil. That's why their first names are better. Um, I got the impression she hadn't wiped their
1: memories. Maybe there's a little bit more trust there. Maybe. But oh, where do they I go from here? Well, first of all, her Medicaid, he did it, is dead. So yeah. she'll have to try to find another Medicaid that'd be willing to do that. For starters. Or just
0: go, or just go with the forget-me stick.
1: <laughs> um, I don't know where Ari goes from here. I do know I do not care. I I don't think I really do either. I unless care. Crowl gets involved and brings her in, because I would be cheering for Carl and Espinoza and that 100% best
0: crossover ever. <laughs> oh my god, can you imagine Espinoza and Rivara in a room together?
1: it would be so great.
0: Anyways. I, I'm with you. I care about Y and Z. I want good things to happen to them. Yes. I'm, I'm really interested in what keeps going on with their story. I don't really when she was like, We're going to my home planet, I was like, Oh, why? But Is I that where you've been assigned to go or are you just going because Yeah. Well, it's interesting to me that when rudderless, she's like, Alright, we gotta go home. Cause she has nothing else guiding her right now. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing she's going home and waiting for a sign, but
1: Or a but Dream.
0: Evangeline pretty clearly chosen and marked by the emperor she has some sort of i don't know if it's like a one-time thing like if you remember in the um in game of thrones the book the first book she sets herself on fire the dragon's hatch there was an interview with george r r martin um i think right after we saw him at the tattered cover i think it was right after the third book published and um Somebody asked, like, oh, my God, it's so cool. She's immune to fire. And he was like, no, no, no. That was a one-time magical occurrence. That'll never happen again. Which the show broke over its knee. But anyways, um, I don't know if Evangeline's power is like that. Like, if this was just this one time the Emperor shone his light upon her, she's not fully a saint. She's just kind of, she was a conduit from the Emperor's grace. Mm-hmm.
1: And now she's done. Oh, he had now a mission she to go up herself he had a mission for her and and how you know it's kind of like we all talk about from plague war is the girl a saint is she not a saint in a way it doesn't matter because when her power was spent up that was it yep
0: that was just yeah that was just it that was done I also don't know if she's like if she's like Saint sabbat so Saint sabbat uh when she comes back in the book in which Saint Sabbath comes back, this young girl claims, she's like, oh, I'm Sabbath reborn, I'm Sabbath. And all these priests are like, yeah, she's totally Sabbath. But everyone around her is like, no, there's nothing special about you at all. You're not a saint. And then an incident happens, an event occurs, and then she's the saint. So I don't know if it's like she, and I can't remember now, cause it's been like 10 years mm-hmm. since I read this book, but I don't know if it was, like, she was, like, possessed, as it were, by the saint, or if it, like, awakened the sainthood in her. I don't know if Evangeline is on that same journey where she was kind of a conduit. She hasn't reached full sainthood yet. She hasn't sacrificed in the way that, like, Celestine has sacrificed. Which, on one hand, when Evangeline was talking about how she'd sacrificed, I was like, you you should talk with Celestine for a <laughs> bit, because I feel like, uh, yeah.
1: I feel like she's maybe got hit a little harder with the sacrifice stick. Um, Yeah, especially when you read like what she goes through. Sometimes she dies. Yeah. Somehow she sticks through it. Yeah. Every time.
0: Yeah. Now, this is something that I'm unsure of. In the lore, in the original, the OG lore, like pre Andy Clark's book, Celestine went through a period where she was a repentia she was a sister super- and I don't know if that happened if that's that probably still is canon with Andy Clark's book which I like his origin story for her much better having been on Terra. um I don't know if that can still fit in there that she go undergoes this period of her pencha so I don't know if that's what Evangeline like if they're making their way toward having a new saint I don't know I'm curious I'll be interested to see what happens to her after she goes through that
1: Will she become more confident? Will she stop questioning? So it sounds like you think there's going to be another one? I do. Like, didn't you feel like the ending kind of set up? I honestly, I couldn't tell because because I'm looking at Games Workshop as a whole and they have been, over the last, I would say, six months to a year, been really pushing the Adeptus and yes. with their models and uh, code, codices and things like that. So some of their books have been kind of pushing that as well, whereas, you know, in the past before, you might get a mention of Battle Sisters, but not very often. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this one, you know, calling it an Adeptus Sororitus novel, what it kind of came across to me is that there's going to be more adeptus sororitus novels but maybe not about Evangeline maybe just some more going through other parts of the sisterhood of what they're going through in this post-rift era
0: and you could be right there because you have the Celestine book you have this you have uh, David Annadale is writing a book about the heretic saint it's like a ferial or anyway it starts with an E um, the Heretic Saint, that's another book that's coming out. I'm very curious about that one. Um, I similarly, I'm actually wondering, because they're doing special editions for all of the Saint. I'm like, I'm wondering if this is going to become like a set, like there's going to be a saint set, which I would have liked more saint, uh, if that's the case. But you could be right. It could have just been an end and like, hey, look, is going to go home, mm-hmm. Evangeline's going to become a, Soror- a Repentia, and that's their story. That's how their journey ends, or a new journey begins for mm-hmm. them. You could be right. I don't know. I don't... I don't... I got to the end and was like, okay, as I said, I liked it. I don't really care what happens with Rivara.
1: No, no, I I don't care about that. Now, if there is a sequel and it's about how Ashava takes over, I'm down. Down. Totally down. I would
0: actually be down if they continued with Rivara's journey, but we got to see from Yumiya and Zorix's point of view. Okay, I'd be down with that. I would totally be down with that. If we got to see be especially Yumiya. That character to me, she was so interesting. And mm-hmm. if she wanted to with that female focused would happily follow Yumiya into battle. And that would actually kind of make it interesting if every, like as you progress the story, if you got to see from these different people's points of view, that would actually keep it pretty cool. Um, Yeah, I would read that. Yeah. I would read that. Um, But so (laughs) we go from this book to going back to space Marines with i think we've said andy clark's name like six times to oh maybe the he'll Imperium. appear
1: damn it <laughs> well you should have turned off the lights and put got from a mirror dang it we had to get in front of the mirror it has to be like two o'clock in the morning it's true we
0: need to be in our way two
1: o'clock in the morning our time and two o'clock in the morning his time oh i think it's like that now isn't <laughs> it
0: <laughs> time zones <laughs> um we need to be in our pajamas you know we need to like drink way too much soda and eat too much candy
1: um my headgear doesn't fit me anymore braid each other's hair uh
0: sleepover sleepover uh yeah so unfortunately he did not appear for me to just be like hi so we're continuing with our series of the space marine conquests i still attest should be called space marines revelations
1: well, I'll, I'll let you know, because I am reading the one that we skipped. The fourth one of Honor and Iron.
0: Oh, right. The Ian St. Martin one.
1: Yeah. I'll let you know if there's a revelation in there.
0: Yeah, but I think we were both pretty excited. Oh, can I actually say one of the little things? This is just one of those dumb little graphical notes that I like, but all of the chapters have the the fist. I like that. That was a nice little touch. Um we both were very excited for this we both really like andy clark mm-hmm. uh we both like the librarians imperial fist librarian i don't know that i've seen before so we've been pretty like what do
1: builder librarians do
0: <laughs> they build libraries oh. Duh. true true she is it's the title um no we were both pretty stoked for this Mm -hmm. so I'm pretty excited for this one um I think with Apocalypse and uh oh shoot the Dark Angels one that we both really liked oh War of Secrets War of Secrets I wanted to say War of Lies but I was like that's not right um close close (laughs) and with the Dark Angels probably more accurate right (laughs) secrets is just a nice word for lies um I think we've been pretty we've enjoyed this series pretty well mm-hmm. so I'm excited for it I, I think it's gonna be a pretty good
1: book to follow up on yep I'm i I I will admit I'm a basic bitch and I like the space marine stuff so I know you were all worried about being a basic bitch with you know not being too happy about these last two books we've read that were not about space marines I'll own it I like the space marines
0: well, I did feel better because then I remembered that, um, you know, how much we liked Celestine mm-hmm. and how much I liked Honorbound. And- oh, Honorbound was great. I liked Honorbound more I, I the- mean,
1: I will yeah. buy a sequel. I'll buy yes. more Severina Rain. Day one. Yeah, totally.
0: They should do a special edition of one of those because I would buy it. <laughs> buy the heck out of it. Uh,
1: yeah, so that I felt a little better and a little less basic. <laughs> That's own your basicness i mean seriously when you play the game like what models do you buy do you buy the little Astra militar no you get the space marines whether they're traitor imperial guard whether they are traitor or loyalist that's usually what you play with when you're when you're painting your little angry dolls they are angry Mm-hmm.
0: yeah might have tentacles i like it <laughs> Oh, and I also forgot how much I like the Carrion Throne, and that was also people's. So see? Yes.
1: All better now. <laughs> so I mean you wanna... I mean so Watchers of the Thrones technically not space marines.
0: True.
1: I mean are not a space marine.
0: They don't leave Terra. Sisters of Silence are pretty much just normal people, as in they're not posthuman and Politician man politicianing Yeah. All right. All, all right. You think, want to take that? I think we're hemming
1: and hawing here like long, long enough, and we yeah, are. Yeah, we are. So, so you have listened to the Warhammer Forty K Book Club episode regarding Mark of Faith by Rachel Harrison. Be sure to join us for our next book, Fist of the Imperium by Andy Clark. So, one quick thing, Black Library, like, why is this not special edition? Like why did you just do a special edition in the middle but not any of the others
0: i think somebody read apocalypse and was like holy shit <laughs> and i did a special edition yeah like somebody was like
1: saint dreadnought, <laughs> dreadnought. I- i'm ocd i like my things to match i'm yeah. just saying anyway But we are an unofficial book club and are not affiliated with the Black Library or any of its affiliates. You can find both the vidcast and podcast on our website, wh40kbookclub.com. If you like this episode, please like, subscribe, give a review, and all those wonderful things to the vidcast on YouTube or to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. Our site also has articles about our adventures in reading other Warhammer 40k books and short stories outside of the book club books. So please stay a while and read from a crowd. Good night, everybody. Good night.